0: Welcome to the Kinja's Podcast. Here we will discuss dance, life, and whatever the f**k we want.
1: Welcome back to Kinja's Podcast. Let me do that again. (laughs) (laughs) Strong stuff. (laughs) Strong
0: (laughs) <laughs> we'll keep that, though. No, we might. we going to stay in there.
1: Welcome back to the Kinjas Podcast, Moving in the Shadows. We are your host, Ben.
0: This is Charles. And you got my foul.
1: And today in the house, we have a very special guest, very excited. Um, I'm excited because I feel like many of our uh, fans or followers or listeners to the show may not know the name Eli Sweet. Ow, ow. That may not be a household name to them. But they but know now. They will know very soon, and we are very excited. Co-founder, co-owner of Sino Stage in China. Hey. Uh, rap extraordinaire, ow, ow. freestyle extraordinaire. you damn right. And just a professional good person. And a very intelligent, very well-spoken, super articulate, and fluently Mandarin-speaking Eli Sweet, straight out of ATL, Jeff.
0: Da, 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 da. Yeah, welcome to the show welcome hey. to the podcast hey yo. thank you
1: thank you very much for having me thank you for that glowing intro
2: and uh, i wanted to interject there. you like many people don't know his name i was thinking i was like that's right i'm not famous like you guys <laughs> 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 uh, but hey, it's yeah.
3: in, it
1: in all the best ways we man.
3: work for bigger causes
1: hey hey man someone's got to be moving in the shadows so. you're right exactly um give us a scoop man where are you from where were you raised? Give us the whole story, man. Sure.
2: I mean, well, let me say first and foremost, really happy to, uh, to be on this podcast with you guys today. i um, really happy to see you guys launching this platform. As you all know, I'm a huge podcast nerd. I think there's a giant audience for this and uh, a lot of people who'd be interested in hearing about you guys and your community. Um, to give you a super condensed version of my backstory, um, I was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, um, in downtown Atlanta, went to public schools. Um, That was a big part of my identity and my upbringing. Grew up rapping, studying Chinese, playing soccer. That was kind of my angle. Graduated from high school, went to college, a small liberal arts school outside of Philadelphia. Um, Graduated from that, came back to Atlanta, did a bunch of odd jobs, worked as an aide to a senator, sold some weed (laughs) (laughs) worked in a jimmy john's sandwich shop hell uh, yeah uh did did construction work like renovating houses and stuff was really trying to get my mixtape to pop off and uh and make it in the rap game i was i was doing shows and i was printing cds i'm an old man (laughs) <laughs> I was printing CDs. I was printing CDs for everyone who doesn't know. It was like a weird plastic disc that you had to <laughs> <laughs> um, And then uh, that that didn't that didn't go off. And uh, after about a year of being back in Atlanta, I, I moved out to China because um, I had studied Chinese, and I, I figured that might be an opportunity to uh, find real employment somewhere. Um, then after a lot of twists and turns, now I've been living there for twelve years. Um, married to a Chinese woman, um,
1: the the wonderful, inimitable Coco.
0: Kitty Coco. Kitty Coco. <laughs> shout
1: out to shout out P- to Pretty, Pretty Coco. Coco. <laughs> Pretty, Coco. <laughs> Pretty Coco, aka the godmother of China. <laughs> and,
0: um,
2: and then uh, my wife was a dancer. Um, I got a nine to five job, and uh, she got a she started a studio, and I, I helped her out a little bit to invite people um, who are interested, just like trying to trying to bring out. Um, international choreographers to teach in China. At that time, there still wasn't a lot of uh, international dancers in China. It's very hard for Chinese dancers to come to the US. And, um, and uh, yeah, we were lucky enough to connect with the Kinjas and connect with some other people starting to bring dancers and teachers out there. And it gradually grew and grew and grew. And now it's, uh, it's kind of a, a going concern in the dance space out there. We got three studios in Chengdu. About 100 full-time employees. I've been working uh, full-time there for the past two years. It's completely changed my life. And so uh, I feel, you know, very grateful to be a part of this
1: dance community, even though I'm not, not a dancer myself.
3: You're a big part still, man. See what I big see part. what I said
1: about him being well-spoken. He just condensed, well sent, like, my I don't know how many years that
0: was until, like, I don't Since know.
3: Since CDs were a thing. <laughs> <really>
0: good, yeah. <laughs> CDs to... Good studios on that tip I printed DVDs so I'm well well aware it is what Um, were you what were you
1: printing on those whatever whatever
0: movies we could find we just print them out and (laughs) hand them out to our friends
2: (laughs) oh nice actually now that you mentioned that um, that was one of the the big hustles that I had when I first started going to China because you could buy DVDs in China art of the bootleg the art of the bootleg. oh yeah and it was still a time when DVDs were worth their weight in gold they're oh, like okay, tremendously yeah. valuable you could bring back a case logic
1: book of DVDs <laughs> it was worth like a thousand dollars I definitely got some DVDs from China though that didn't work on all the DVD players like mm-hmm. so it was kind of like a gamble like, like I would a get like a, a two dollar you know Jurassic Park DVD and hope that it would work and then put it in. It would be like regionally work. coded yeah, for Europe yeah. or something. Yeah.
0: <laughs> or just Asia. <laughs> yeah.
1: Dang. Well let's take it back. So you went to college, so you you had all these odd jobs. Was the odd jobs because you just wanted to try everything or you just didn't know what you wanted to do? So you just kind of like were like, Let me try this and a little
0: bit of this and that.
2: Uh well let me let me put it from a different angle. All right. We we were having a conversation last night about um, this notion of the golden boy, which is something that, that I think about. Whereas for some people, and you probably met some of these people, everything seems to break right in their life. Um, when they're, they're smart and they're attractive. When they go to to school, the person they want to date is the person they end up dating. When they apply to college, the college that they want to get into is the college that they get into. When they get out of college, they have the job lined up perfectly. And, um, that was not my story. <laughs> There's like there was an alternative reality. Or there was an alternate reality where like that could have happened for me, but there was a lot of times when it just didn't break quite perfectly. So um, like I didn't get into the college that I wanted to get into and you know, When I got out of college, if I had had my choice, I probably would have gone right into a sort of fast-paced, ambitious, professional job if I could have landed one, if those opportunities had just organically appeared for me. And I, I probably thought when I was growing up, like, yeah, this will happen. I'll go to college. I'll study something interesting. I'll meet someone. I'll come out of college. and I'll be like moving right into a startup. I'll be moving right into an interesting job. But none of that stuff materialized. And so I ended up just back in Atlanta working at the Jimmy John's. Um, and, you know, partially that was because I wanted to, to pursue the rap thing. I mm-hmm, told my mm-hmm. parents when I was in high school, I was like, <laughs> I was like super naive. <laughs> I can make it as a professional rapper. You yeah. don't understand. <laughs> <Hell yeah. laughs> and they were like, that's nice. You know, we support your creative rapper. Um, oh, of all time, probably Black Thought. I think that oh, guy's still cool. un- unparalleled yeah. in terms yeah. of his okay, uh, yeah. consistency and longevity. But but there's a lot of a lot of great ones out there. Um. And uh, and so my I, I, my parents said, I, you know, we support your creative pursuits, but you should still go to college and, and try to have a normal, stable life. And I, I have so much respect for them that I, I figured I, I should do that. Um, but uh, when I when I got out of college, I said to them like, Hey, I want to take some time to really try to make it, have a go at this as a rapper. Um, and uh, and I thought I had a good shot, but again, it's like there that. All of the opportunities didn't break perfectly. I didn't find a great collaborator. I didn't find a great label mate. I didn't find a great crew. I didn't find a great like producer. I didn't find like you know the right venue owner all those things that could have like put me on in a way. I never I never found that connection. And sometimes that's fate. Sometimes that's luck. Sometimes that's hard work or lack thereof or a yeah, combination yeah, sure. thereof. Uh-huh. Um, but it just I, I ended up putting out some music and trying to do my thing, doing some shows. Never really got anywhere and uh and because i'm a realist at a certain point i was like well i can't just like sit here in east atlanta selling weed and working at jimmy johns forever i should go out to to china and try to make use of this one skill set that i had that i knew was valuable in some ways and that was the ability to speak chinese
3: i love that why
2: did you like decide to speak chinese of all languages um honestly that was was kind of luck um The one thing that I gotta give my parents credit for was pushing my sister and I to go abroad and and try to learn a language. Um, My sister had studied abroad in Germany when she was in high school, and when I got to high school, it was kind of understood that I would go and study abroad somewhere. the two main choices were either Italy or China because we liked the Italian restaurant down the street. We like the Chinese restaurant down the street. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think my dad was probably like subconsciously pushing me towards China because he knew that China and Chinese and the, the China market was going to be a big source of opportunity in the future. Sure. Um, and uh, and they pushed me to, to, to learn Chinese and, and to start on that path when I was pretty young. So I was um, 14 and 15 when I was first starting To study Chinese and I I had a Chinese tutor Um, when I was in high school I used to take classes at the local university um, and all that kind of stuff it's kind of like the equivalent I guess of your parents forcing you to play piano or something like that Um, my my parents were kind of on me to do Chinese and you know it was it was a cool thing to have your identity formed around like everyone thought Chinese was cool yeah Um, that's interesting it's
3: still cool Hey. It's so cool, especially coming from a Caucasian man. People <laughs> can't see on the podcast, but I'm a white guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm all right <laughs> yeah I was going
0: to ask you because at my high school, it was only like French and Spanish that were off. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. if you took uh, Chinese at school, but you.
2: I took, no, I took French at school. <laughs> a whole lot of wasted time. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I also studied Spanish in school and spent a summer in Mexico. And I, I could speak Spanish for a while. Like Chinese and Spanish were neck and neck in my brain, but, but then there was like competition for brain space, and <laughs> <laughs> Chinese Chinese just won out. Like Thanks. all that. How many languages do you speak? Yeah, I mean, just like one and a half right one. now, <laughs> <laughs> Chinese and then like half English. <laughs> <laughs> Better Chinese than English. Yeah, that, that real estate is uh, it's it's getting a little crowded there. It's a
0: hard drive.
1: Shout out to your parents, then man. I feel like that's very progressive of them. Them to think like oh i think you need to learn chinese of all languages because my parents are like you need to know spanish because if you're living in la you need spanish
0: i think they might have been right about that <laughs> <Honestly>. <laughs> i still can't speak it really
3: mine was, mine was just vietnamese <laughs> it's like you got to know vietnamese because <laughs> your middle name is viet <laughs> <laughs> so if you can't speak it you're you know it's, <laughs> it's not kind of no really good, good man
1: It's really good it's really good um i feel like i don't know if uh what me knowing you for as little as I've known you I feel like we've had like one real conversation that was like not that long ago when we we're in Shanghai mm. and then you told me your story about like how you grew up and selling weed and and doing all the odd jobs and all that um but one thing that I've like really uh, seen of you is just your your hustler spirit your like entrepreneurial like you know drive and mindset was that there like since childhood cuz I don't know, for you hopping around all over the place and trying a bunch of things and be like, all right, I'm just going to go to China and just teach English because I know this is going to work. And But I'm also just trying to be a rapper. Like, mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, Was that always there?
2: Yeah. Look, I feel like everybody who's an entrepreneur has some story about selling candy in middle school. And I was definitely selling candy <laughs> in middle school. I mean, for me, it was the uh, the, the the large Reese's Pieces cups. Hey, the, like, yeah. You could get the 10 pack for 99 cents. Yeah. And then you sell those for a quarter a piece. I mean, that's a good deal from a customer's perspective, and you're making 150% profit there. Um, so, yeah. I was-, I I was baseball cards.
1: You know, baseball <laughs> yeah.
2: cards. I had a baseball cards face, too, yeah. But uh. but you know what? The market is a lot less liquid in baseball <laughs> cards. Yeah. Like, everybody wants to buy candy. You got to find that's like true. the right kind true. of investors to, yeah. to speculate on yeah. that. Um, but- uh, uh, You know, I think I I always wanted to be a part of a successful team. That's probably the common thread in in my adventures, even more so than like being a part of a business venture. Um, I definitely do feel um, a sense of purpose and and satisfaction and motivation to be in a startup. And, um, you know, having worked with SinoStage for the past two years, even though it's been very stressful and very hectic, uh, it's been a very meaningful experience in my life to be a part of a team and to work together with people to try to overcome challenges in a dynamic situation. Um, and uh, I think that that part kind of gets to, to what you're talking about. Before I, I did that, I was um, was on a bunch of sports teams. Honestly, I played soccer for most of my life. And to be in that collaborative atmosphere was really important. Um, before I worked for Signer Stage I had uh, about a six-year period where I was working a nine-to-five job. Um, doing logistics in the oil and gas industry,
0: yeah. um,
2: also out in China, but working on a Chevron natural gas project there, drilling oh. drilling gas in the mountains. Um, and that was a completely different kind of work environment and um, also very edifying and educational in certain ways, a very useful experience, but definitely didn't scratch that itch in terms of that entrepreneurial spirit or that sort of team um, team mindset uh that that really has been sort of animating my my day-to-day life for the for the recent history
1: so sino stage then how did that form was that like coco's brainchild was that something that you guys kind of created together Hmm. look you got to give coco credit i'm not
0: (laughs) i'm not
2: going to stand here and take credit for it I, i think um the the thing that i can take credit for is that um i really wanted to support my wife and I really wanted to give her a platform that she would be fully responsible for and have agency and ownership of. Uh, and if you just want to go deeper and like keep it a hundo hundo, um, when I married Coco, she was a dancer in the club. And that was like kind of a bad look <laughs> okay. to go and tell He's your really family. <laughs> um, I'm like marrying a club dancer. <laughs> so it seemed like we could open the studio together And then, um, it would be like, I'm marrying a small business owner, you know, I'm marrying an entrepreneur. And so there was, there was, you know, different elements of, of the consideration there. Um, but, but one of them was, was to support her and give her her own platform. And the other one was to get legitimacy, but I didn't, um, I didn't expect the kind of growth that we've been able to, to realize. And, um, I definitely can't take credit for the formation of the brand. Um, but, but the idea was, was in my head for a while. Um, before we started Sinosage Stage Studio, we had already begun inviting people to come over and do masterclass workshops. At that time, we didn't have a space. We would just rent out a gymnasium. We would rent out somebody else's studio space. And I thought that masterclasses was the way to make money mm. because um, I had seen like while I was working the nine to five job. My wife was working in the club. She was also teaching some classes at a local studio. And that studio had done some master classes they invited over. Actually, a bunch of big names came during that time. Yeah. It's a bad studio. They like don't take very good care of people. Um, <laughs> and they've kind of faded in prominence as we've, we've taken over the game. But um, they invited Brian Puspus. They invited Keoni Amari. They invited Bam Martin. Whoa. They invited Kyle Hanagami. And I had gone to... My wife had was, at that time, helping them take care of some of the foreign guests when they arrived. And so I had gone to a workshop that Kyle Hanagami did. This probably six years ago, seven years ago. And we took him out to lunch, and I, I saw the workshop space and just like how many Chinese students were there. There had to be 150, 250 kids in just some random like back alley corner gymnasium kind of space. And that opened my mind to this idea that, wow, there's a huge market for Chinese dancers who want to study with international, um, you know, dance talent. Um, My wife had also applied for a visa to go to the U.S., and she couldn't get a visa. She wanted to get a student visa and she was rejected, rejected, rejected again. Um, so I knew from personal experience um, that there was a lot of Chinese uh, dancers who were in that situation where there was this pent up demand to study with international teachers, but an inability to get there. So when I saw that workshop. I, I, I thought, wow, okay, this is my eyes are being opened to this, uh, this market inefficiency. Right. There's this pent up demand in China for students who want to study with international dance teachers and there's these international dance teachers who have time. All you have to do is bring them over here and connect them and then suddenly you can take advantage of this business opportunity. So that's how I saw the potential market coming in there. It was like master classes is the way to make money. Who needs a regular day to day class here? That was wrong. That was totally <laughs> wrong. And it's it's like become clear to me over time, um, anyone can do a master class workshop. All you need is space and money and an email address to bring people over. Yeah. And so now there's tons of international master teachers in China all the time teaching workshops. And um, there's a lot of competition in that space. It's very hard to differentiate yourself. And the thing that has kept our business alive in the you know four years since we've been up and running has been – um, catering to the the local Chinese market with Chinese teachers and just building a strong brick and mortar operation on the day to day, which is not something that I expected, and uh, it's again something my wife deserves a lot of credit for because she kind of kind of engineered the experience that our regular class students have all the time.
3: I would also say it's your hospitality too that differentiates you from other different. Uh, yeah. businesses in china as well because out of all my travels and i've i've been traveling for over i don't know like eight nine years and there hasn't been a time where i've been you know so comfortable in a space uh and just only thinking about uh dance and art so that's all another thing that you should also hold your head up high about is your hospitality for sure it's amazing
2: and um, that's definitely helped us and i, I think um we have been able to grow faster than a lot of other dance studios in China because we have built strong relationships with international partners and with um, creative dancers from around the world. Um, the, the interpersonal dynamic of that has been really, really critical. And I don't want to, uh, yeah, definitely don't want to overlook that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Sure.
1: Where was your guys' first uh, Sino stage studio?
2: So um, right now we have three studios in, in Chengdu uh the one that we f- the first 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 opened is no longer there it was really really small space like more narrow than the room we're sitting in now, which is not that, what? guys, for the <laughs> no listening way. audience at home, it's not that big.
0: Uh, we're <laughs> like in a it's small messy. bedroom. bedroom. <laughs> very yeah, <messy> bedroom. <laughs> it was
2: uh, the, the width of the original studio. If there was two people standing with their arms spread wide, side by side, that was about the width of the studio. Wow. It was, <laughs> it was an incredibly narrow. And uh, <laughs> so when you were like, <laughs> teachers would be in class and like, it was like very, it was rectangular. It was very wide, <laughs> long thing um so that was the first one we opened um frankly we didn't have a lot of money to get it get it up and running um i took some of the savings that i had gotten from working the nine to five job selling my soul you know to the to the corporate masters and then uh, my wife's family came up with with a little bit of my, i mean just to put it in perspective we're talking like 10 g's 15 g's that i put up and then like 15 g's she put up and then we rented that space and the space was. Um, it was just an empty concrete shell. There was nothing in it. It was in a new complex, um, and so we had to put in electricity and all that kind of stuff, painted the walls, and did as much as we could to make it a, um, a sort of uh, unique brand aesthetic feel i mean something that people who are familiar with us will know or if you come to any of our spaces you'll see is that there's a real distinct brand identity there um and that goes to like the fashion and the interior design and and all that aesthetic detail stuff and so we tried to do that in the first studio but we just had very limited resources so it was it was kind of plain i mean now looking back on it, it was a pretty plain studio um and uh, it, was, it was rough sledding at the beginning. You know. We're, we're very lucky to get over the hump. Um, and um, at a certain point, we, we got some uh, angel investors who came in and bought uh, part of our company. Mm-hmm. And then we took the money that we got from that and built a much bigger space. And um, that bigger space is what is now the first of our three studios, Stage Original, as, mm-hmm. as a lot of people know it. Um, if we had never been able to get to that point, I don't think we would have been able to get where we are now because we were kind of teetering on the verge of, of bankruptcy for a while there um, when we had the first studio. Um, so it's really hard, even in China. I mean, we number one, we never would have been able to start a small business if we had been doing it in America because the, the, the barriers to entry are much higher in terms of you know, the capital that yeah, you have fair. to have to get off of the ground. We were doing it in, in like not a third world country, but a much less developed country in yeah. China. So we're able to get into the game with a lower initial investment amount. But even with that, uh, we still were like a long way away from what we really needed to get going, even though we didn't know it. And if we had never gotten that boost from the angel investors and got to open the big space, all the possibilities that came after yeah. that, none of that would have happened. how did you guys get the angel investors? Um, I, I think because we were doing videos, and uh, something that my wife really believed in from the inception of the brand was uh, that we have to do strong uh, online social media, and that we need to be documenting and recording and creating dope content that goes with our brand and supports it. Um, and I think that's what got the attention of those those angel investors. And um, you know that idea, the belief in media, is, is something that we copied from you guys. <laughs> um, and we, we saw the Kinjas and we saw vibrancy and saw how that like you know created a following, created a, a resonance with the brand beyond just like taking an individual class but being able to follow online. Um, and so we, we we tried to create our own version of that. And so we hired our own media staff and, and ch- created our Like our own in-house media team, and then eventually we reached out to Kinjas and connected to Vibrancy and started to steal John She.
3: You guys stole John (laughs) So that's where he's from.
1: He goes to China. Um, So yeah, how did that initial um, relationship with Kinjas start? Well. I wrote a lot of emails to people who never responded. <laughs> like if you go
2: into my Gmail history, there's emails to like Paris Goebbels from like, you know, yeah. 2007 or whatever. And it's like, it's like, hello Paris. Like we are a dance studio in Southwest China. Like, Would you like to come and teach a class? Um, and, uh, and even before that, Coco was hitting people up on MySpace. She was, she was texting yeah. like loose joint and elite force and, <laughs> I don't know, like yeah. Pop and Pete, or <laughs> like whoever was was hot at that particular right. time, because this was like sort of like Web 1.0 era sure. yeah. when when people were it. Again, you seem like a dinosaur talking about it now, but there was a time when people were not like sharing and viewing dance videos by the tens of thousands, oh, yeah. and, yep. and viewing them by the millions every single day. Um, and there was a whole generation of dancers who were like caught off guard by this. I remember uh, talking hmm. to a uh, Lom Kafleski who's a really great dancer, she dances a BBC, but she's sort of an OG in the game. And she was one of the people who like, had just put up some videos on YouTube, like not even knowing what this platform was. And then all of a sudden just found out, hey, there's like tens of thousands of people who are watching this in Russia and in, you know, whatever, Colombia. And then started getting contacted by people to go and teach in other countries. And we were essentially on the other side of that, right? Right. We were the people who were just discovering these dancers in the U.S. They had no idea that they were getting an international following. And then we were reaching out across the void. To say like, hey, why don't you come out here? And it was it was a brave new world and kind of scary and uncertain. And a, a lot of times, I think for the dancers that went out and experienced it, not all that pleasant. You know? <laughs> uh, there's there's lots of horror stories about going to teach um, in in countries where the treatment was not great. Oh yeah, um, And uh, and and so, like Charlie said, one of the one of the ways that we kind of. Um, improved on the versions that came before us, as we, we tried to put a lot of thought and care into taking good care of people when they came out there. But uh, to, after my like now three minute prelude, let me answer your question. <laughs> 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 I, uh, we basically email Anthony, and, and at, at this time, um, this is before <clears throat> I had like come to my come into my own in the company, where like now I have an identity and a voice. At that time, I was just like writing whatever Coco told me to write. (laughs) So she would like write these emails and then I would like translate them into proper English. And then we would send them off and then I would sign them like, love Coco, you know, <laughs>
0: and there would be like, would I, like I would put lots of
2: like cutesy language in there. Oh my stuff. God. But it would be like fuck, it would be me writing. This.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you want winky face. Okay, got it. So you yeah.
2: catfished here.
0: Yeah. 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 Um,
2: so yeah, I, I, we emailed, uh, Anthony and, um, and just invited him to come out. I think, what year was this? This was pro. this 2008 now, it's probably 2000, oh, it's 2018 now, by 2014, maybe late 2013, something like that. And, um, he was. It was like when he was just starting to first collab with John She and Vibrancy and put out like yeah. the the videos Tessellate, yep. oh, um, yeah. G- Gattier, mm-hmm. and, um, that one with Sora, the the, the 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 Kinja's ninjas girls. Um, oh girl yeah, and yeah, Aggie with Aggie, and, uh, with yeah. Aggie, yeah, right. Uh, the last speech. Oh, oh yeah, that one was, was a good one. one. That was a great one. Oh, that was. Yeah. Um, and so it was. It was during that time we looked at those and we. It's so funny. On the other side of the internet, you don't know, like, the real backstory. But everything seems so legitimate to us at that time. So, wow, these guys are, like, international stars, like, been <laughs> <making> top-quality <laughs> media players. Know, like, a couple Asian guys, like, fooling around with a camera and yeah. stuff. The um, power you,
1: of perception. The power yeah. of perception, yeah. right? Yeah, and the yeah. power
2: of good art. It, like, yeah. legitimizes you to the world. Um, so I, I sent him an email and we invited him to come out and I, I saw his response like not too long ago. Cause I was looking through some old gmails. I was probably looking for some email <laughs> to Anthony. I came across that one and it was like, it was like, Hey, I would love to come out to China. Like I've never been to China before, even though my ancestors are from there. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was like, it was like, my rate is 300 USD per class in uh, like in parentheses, negotiable. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. You will Whoa. never see that <laughs> <laughs> So he was <laughs> to say it was a much different time for the market. Um, as well as yeah, where we were as a studio and we brought him out. I think we were joking about this the other day. He taught something like 14 classes in like Holy crap. four days he or something. To put the guy to work. Yeah. Put him to work. Um, and to be honest, it was not a huge success financially for us.. Yeah. Not, a, not a lot of people came to the classes. And I remember like looking at the classes, what we would always do is if we didn't have a lot of paying students, we would kind of paper the room, meaning we would like bring in friends or family or just give away yeah. classes to people. So we had like brought in a bunch of people to, to just fill up the class, so it wasn't totally wasted. But I remember just sitting there with my wife, looking at it from like the sort of upper office space and just shaking my head be like, oh God, this is bad, this is bad. And she was very resolute. She's like, no, this will be good for the culture. Like just you wait. Like this will be good for the culture. Um, and, uh, and it was because that, the, that relationship, that bond turned yeah. out to be really useful um, to connect to other people. And uh, shortly after Ant came out, he came out a, a second time and he brought Mike and Bam and Pat. Sure. Um, and yeah, that solidified that. the relationship more. Um, and because my wife, Coco's pretty, pretty Coco. Sorry, pretty Coco. <laughs> 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 Gotta say it every time. Yeah, 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 <laughs> you have to. Um, her attitude is always, let's take this to the next level in terms of the depth of the relationship. Let's work on something bigger. Let's work on something crazier. Every time that the Kinjas came out... Um, We tried to bring that partnership to a new level. So the second time that that they came out, she was already saying, like, what words do you live by that you would like to have written on the wall here? Like, we are going to take your logo and we're going to put it on the wall. And then we're going to, like, take your credo or your motto and then we're going to put it up here. And... Um, I think, I mean, it could have come off as creepy, you know, (laughs) like, hey, whoa, slow down, pump the brakes, we're still trying to get to know you, but, you know, Coco has a very um, endearing sincerity, and I think that Ant could see that, and could see that, like, we were trying to build something together, and so that's how we ended up with, you know, um, work hard, stay humble on the wall there, and the, the Anthony Lee logo there. Um and then each time that we touch base again we we try to launch into some some cool bigger better project and that's that's kind of how arena came about
1: that's yeah. kind of how everything that's been dominating my life for <laughs> <since that> <laughs> <came> <laughs> about yeah. Life. yeah I love that. So like speaking of Coco um what is your guys's like work dynamic like in terms of like the roles that you guys play and and all of that?
2: Right. Um well like obviously Doing business with friends is very challenging. Um, Doing business with your spouse or loved one um, is really fraught too. Uh, We just went through a um, process of getting investment. So we got a round of investment um, at the end of last year. Um, that's like enabling us to, to grow and, and take the stuff in new directions. And when we went through that process, there was a lot of questions about having a husband and wife team as a founder because that's like red flag, red flag, red flag if you're a venture capitalist. There's, there's, it's like having – oh, God. I'm not good enough at chemistry to make this analogy work, but there's some kind of like molecular bond that's uh-huh. like um, strong but also brittle yeah. And that's kind of what the, the husband-wife co-founder team is like. It's a strong bond, but it's potentially very um, volatile. And um, so the the way that – I've put a lot of thought into what our dynamic should be like and what makes for a stable relationship in that respect. Um, and the thing that I've found to be the most useful is you have to have a clear delineation of roles and separation of responsibilities, and you also have to have a really clear – power dynamic sure and that's why I say my wife is the boss (laughs) 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 Um, uh, and like I say that you know for for comedy and to be like a a nice husband and all that kind of stuff but on a serious tip like it's very important that she has the ultimate decision-making authority not because like she knows and I don't know it could be the other way around but because you have to have somebody who is the number one and somebody who is the number two otherwise you're going to spend a lot of Energy and waste a lot of time trying to like subconsciously be vying for that authority or that position, and to have those roles clearly defined is just a much more efficient, much more stable way because you have everyone in your organization, they need to know who to look to. Um, And you know, she's gonna be wrong about some things, and I'm gonna be right, and I'm gonna be wrong about some things, and she's gonna be right, but either following her decisions or following my decisions, either way will be okay as long as we can make a decision. But if you get into a stalemate because the, the authority structure is not clearly defined, then that can really hurt you. It's like, you can drive the car and I can sit shotgun, or I can drive the car and you can sh- sit shotgun. But we can't have two people with their hands on the wheel trying yeah. to pull it in different directions. Yeah. Um. So so that's that's our dynamic there. Like I have um, a skill set that she doesn't have, and and I try to like bring that to bear for the benefit of the company as much as I can. Um. And she definitely has some skills that I don't have, um, particularly with regards to. Um, fashion and understanding the product and the, yeah. the product fit for the market. So I think it really is um, It's right. It's 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 right on a lot of levels for her to be the leader um, but it, That was a hard thing for me to swallow at a certain point point. Um, and once I got clear in my mind about what my role was that made everything mm-hmm. so much easier
1: good. Yeah, Very when I see Phelps, I feel like yeah. she she just has that vision like she has I mean for her to even be like you know anthony lee coming out for the first time and it's not being a lucrative uh you know work related thing right there was not a lot of return immediately but she knowing like hey trust me this is the beginning of something amazing like yeah. we just got to do this again and bigger and better next time yeah and and like look where it is now and
3: like, even you know? like the understanding of balance too i feel like uh to become a really good leader or, or into like do well in that kind of business, you have to know yourself and you have to know who you're working with. And, uh, you know, the struggle of power is something that the ego is really about. So if you can really take away that ego and really think of it in a different way, just like how you're doing, Eli, I feel like, you know, you a lot of people can learn a lot from that. And I've been thinking about that too, you know, and um, yeah, you need one driver, guys, just one driver. driver.
2: I mean, look, I'm a super you guys know me, I'm a real talkative kinda like alpha male kind of guy. I yeah. wanna be the center of attention in a lot of ways. So it was hard for me to think about that role, changing that role. I like I said, I, I got out there thinking, Oh, I wanna be I wanna be a rap star, you know, I wanna be the center of attention and so to be like, Yeah, you're gonna be your wife's like white monkey on her <laughs> in her entertainment game. You are not the white monkey. I know, guy. but I'm I am the white monkey, but I'm the best white monkey. <laughs> you got that right. You got that right. Um, it's like I, when Golden State wins the title next year or this yeah. year. <laughs> like everybody on the team gets a ring. Yeah. I mean, that means uh Steph, that means Clay, that means KD, but that also means the guys on the bench yeah. that never get any playing time. Yeah. That also means the trainer, that means the water boy, that means the guys in the front office. That means yeah. the yeah. water boy gets a ring too. Yeah, I mean, I don't yeah, know. Wow.
3: <laughs> no, they give everyone a ring in their organization. Wow. right yeah. that, and the
2: point is, like, if your team is winning, like you're a champion, you know? yeah, and that means so much more than like, well, how much did I personally get the shine? How much did I? Hell get the yeah. Beauty? Um, so that's what my focus is now is, like, being on a winning team and making sure, sure that I can help that team succeed.
1: Um,
0: sure. 100%. I'm so blown away that everybody gets a ring. That's crazy. Yeah, they <laughs> give everyone a freaking like I'm ring. I'm kind of down to
1: be a water boy. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I want to be the that. guy that just wipes yeah. the sweat
3: on the floor. So I'm down ready. for that. But I really like that you say that because, I mean, I've been thinking about that too. And even for me uh, to be, like, a choreographer, and I started, like, you know, maybe, like, four or five years ago, and my goal was always to be, like, okay, I want to be – uh, a world renowned choreography. I wanna be the best. I wanna be travel I want to travel the world and want everyone to recognize my talent. But mm-hmm. um, you know, lately it's not that I've given up on that goal, but it's more so like being on a, a team like Kinja's is like you have to know what your strengths are and you have to know what you have to to do and give in order to make this whole machine grow. You know right. what I mean? And I feel like that's something that's really powerful. Uh, is, and uh, you know, yeah.
2: Well I, I mean I feel you because Um, one of the things that's been super gratifying about being a part of this dance game and and working with Sino Stage and working with the Kinjas and working on Arena and all these interesting projects is that in a weird roundabout way, it's given me more opportunities to get recognition for hip hop and for me to actually, um, integrate rap into my professional life in a way that I never would have expected. But I think it's a, t- a testament to the fact that if you don't let your life decisions be driven by your ego, then your talents can naturally come to the fore um, in due time. And once I took away that pressure of like, Oh, you have to be a rap superstar for this to be like, um, you know, the the end use of your talent. And just like um, you can always do it. You can always have this passion, you can always work on your craft, whether or not you're going to be a professional musician. Um, and then just let myself focus on trying to put my wife in position to win and put my team in position to win. Eventually I got, you know, I continued to work on my stuff and now I get to rap all the time. I get to, hey, cool guys, They're like, hey, bust the flow, you know?
0: And, <laughs> so yeah,
1: it's uh. Did you always know what you were good at? Like skill set for, for business or for like just life?
2: Uh, talking communications like that was definitely something but uh in terms of how that translates into an actual job that part was not totally clear right I knew that I was good at making friends with people and that I was good at like talking shit but uh, like I said about things not breaking the right way When I was younger, I thought like, oh, these inherent abilities are going to lead to all these awesome opportunities just finding you naturally, and they didn't really. And so I was like, you know, 30 years old or 29 years old, teaching English and like rapping in the club in China, feeling like, when is my like awesome break going to find me? When's my destiny going to come and discover me? You know, like all of these awesome like shit-talking skills really haven't gotten you anywhere um, you know, your mom and dad are hounding you all the time to come back to the U.S. and go to law school or go to grad school or get a real job, or something like that. So, um, you know, we all have the, our strengths to, to that we are born with, but that doesn't necessarily translate into being a viable career. Yeah. And um, whether or not they, they come through and that does happen, you know um, – it depends on a lot of luck and a lot of hard work. As it turns out, you know, those things did have now come to serve me very well in, in my role at, at, at SinoStage and being kind of a liaison for us with our external partners. Um, but there was, a, there was a long time where even when I did get a real job and I was working in, a, uh, in the oil and gas industry, it was like nobody cared about the fact that I was like a good <laughs> conversationalist. I remember one time I was uh, uh, I was in the office of like one of the Chevron managers. This guy named Sarab, who was like really stern and severe, and he was reading this email that I was writing that I had written that was explaining how it was explaining something that had gone wrong with some shipment of pipe or something like that. But it was like a long it was like a narrative recounting of like what happened to the trucks, and, like how they got stopped on this mountain road or whatever, you know. But he was looking. It from this like business analyzing like what's the what's the problem what's the solution so he's like reading this email i'm saying behind him he's like he's like you're a really good writer <laughs> that was like that hurt me so much because <laughs> i was sitting in the office i was like i know <laughs> here i am like filling in goddamn spreadsheets for you <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah so you know that's awesome. So, uh, like, so being a part of a a dance company, but not being a dancer, not having any dance background, um, how what is like your view towards like dance culture, and especially how it's spreading in China, like so much, especially now, even like what's your view on that?
2: Well, um, I am what you would call not a subject matter expert in this particular field. Um, I definitely came in from the outside, which has some benefits and it has some disadvantages. Um, the, the benefits are that I can see things with a little bit more objectivity in terms of it as just a cultural product and as a fit in the market um, because I'm not clouded by my own like personal ambitions in the space. Um, something that happens to a lot of dance studio leaders is that there's this co-mingling of interests between what's good for their career as a dancer and what's good for the studio or their crew. 100%. And that, that can create this, like, sort of distortion of, of motives and, and stuff like that. And so I'm lucky to not have that. Um, at the same time, uh, I'm super ignorant about, like, the history of the craft and the history of the market and, like important people and I'm constantly reminded of my ignorance and and that lack of knowledge definitely holds you back and in, in some respects um it's been amazing to see the growth of dance culture and of the the dance market in China in the past couple of years and that is something that I think um was mostly dumb luck you know our, our growth has been a combination of some smart choices and some dumb luck and uh the dumb luck part of it was just being in the right place in the right time and that means Um, being in China at a time when China's economic growth is really strong, being in Western China uh, in the city of Chengdu during a time when Western China is growing faster than most of the rest of China, and being in the entertainment-slash-education-slash-fitness space at a time when that particular sector of the economy is growing especially fast. There's more and more uh, middle-class consumers in China, and they're putting their disposable income into things like hobbies and health And um, fun and education and so we sort of hit a sweet spot in terms of having you know these dance classes for that and um, our classes are uh, in some ways a different kind of service product than many of the ones that came before that and the reason I say that is because Um, our customer base is predominantly female and a lot of the dance studios that came before us, the earlier iterations were very underground, b-boy centric, hip hop style dance studios. So they were um, grimy, they were authentic, they were cool. They're much more my personal style, you know, that graffiti on the wall and a little bit dirty and all that kind of stuff. Um, But they were not particularly tailored for this kind of emerging consumer market this this type of consumer who wants something a little bit more refined they want something boutique fitness they want something more like soul cycle um, and so w- the because my wife is the the you know Lead product developer for our company and sort of the 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 um, the person who's determining that product. It's our our classes are tailor made for a female consumer in a way that a lot of other dance classes might not be, and that turned out to be a really good fit for this kind of market segment that was growing, um, and that's something where. I totally would have missed that if I was the one making decisions about how the classrooms were designed or the class were packaged or the teachers were dressed, all those kinds of things. Um, and, uh, yeah, so basically China's growing fast and we're lucky. I didn't do a good job answering that No, no you, did, no, you didn't.
3: I think you did really well answering that question. I think, and I, I think that's so crazy that you guys are in that such a sweet spot in that, in the, that part of China. That's so crazy to me.
1: Yeah. Um, let's talk about arena let's the talk first about arena. Hey. Is arena? what
2: is arena right so um um arena is a gosh i should, I should know the mission statement by heart here <laughs> arena is a platform for people uh that it, arena is a platform that aims to through the medium of dance connect people of different cultures across the world
0: wow something
2: like that <laughs> <laughs> goes yeah. um uh you know uh rather than starting with a philosophical side because I feel like I'm gonna botch it I'm just gonna start <laughs> with like the the sequence of events yeah. that led us here um which is to say that like we're all part of this movement called urban dance mm-hmm. it's a relatively new thing um in terms of how I see the history of urban dance I think there's two big tributaries that go into it one is um you know burned out disenchanted industry dancers who came to la to be a part of the entertainment industry and then found themselves, um, making videos on the side and finding their own voice as choreographers first and foremost, and then um, a strain of like Asian American collegiate um, choreography competition teams, um, things like Kaba Modern, things like ACA, things like all of the the schools um, in the UC system that had Asian American dance societies, and then um and then also just not co- not collegiate but also large dance crew competitions. So to me those are the two strains of urban dance. One is like individual dope choreographers who are here for the industry and the other is like large team choreography competitions. Yeah. All right. So on the like large team choreography competition side of the ledger, um the There is a bunch of competitions that you guys all know of that have been in california for some years that created a platform for people to go and showcase their choreography pieces um they also you know launched the careers of many dope dancers you know became spawning grounds for studios that came out and launched people's careers one of those competitions uh that we always looked up to a lot was vibe Mm -hmm. um vibe is a competition that the kinjas have Uh, been a big part of supporting and are you know involved behind the scenes it's it's been a platform for kinjas and vibrancy um, over the years and uh, we were looking at that when we were launching Sino stage and saying wow we should have a competition like this in China Uh, there have been some local Chinese dance competitions but they the standard was not that good they were not very international so when Anthony came over one of the things that Coco said to him I think this was the second time right after we put his name on the wall was like hey Help us get Vibe China. We would love mm-hmm. to do Vibe China mm-hmm. and, uh, and bring it over there. We knew that Vibe had gone to the Philippines and, and gone to Japan and tried to do those things. And uh, so we, we wanted to expand it in China. And, and he basically said, um, it's no knock on Vibe, but you don't want to do a Vibe mm-hmm. franchise. Because even though Vibe looks really awesome, at the end of the day, they can't solve all the problems for you on the ground that you need to do a competition. You're going to have to solve those problems for yourself. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to do all the execution. You're going to have to do the branding. So what you should really do is create your own thing, and then you'll have more independence. You'll have more of a stake in that platform, okay. and then you'll be able to do it the way that, that you want, and we'll do it with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I think you know probably anthony knew that um the kinjas contributed so much to that competition space already that if they had a a, a platform that was that was was theirs that they could do even more with it yeah. um and so he i think he <coughs> had like the kind of philosophical uh, rocket fuel there and coco had the sort of persistence and the legwork um and so we we launched arena in in chungdu in two thousand and five, and we found sorry, <laughs> <laughs> wow, two thousand
0: five. Yeah, two thousand five. Long time. Five, ago. Six, seven, eight.
2: Yeah, um, we we launched it in, in two thousand fifteen in Chengdu, um, and it it was a it's a large team choreography competition, but it's also uh, a showcase for premier international choreographers um, to to put their pieces up there, and, and we wanted it to be um, that that uh, sort of platform that showcased for all the best dancers in the world and um to put the artistry and the craft first and foremost so rather than just try to do as many competitions as possible or to try to have as many people as possible but try to put the quality and the brand first and foremost and um in, in, towards that end uh without the kinjas bringing that legitimacy and bringing the talent um because no none of these great um uh, international master teachers would come out there to be judges and be uh, participants in the competition if they didn't have that, the, the, the Kinja's buy in. Um, uh, and also, vibrancy um, yeah. to, to bring the media resources and to bring the quality of the, the brand and the aesthetics and the design. Um, we were just really, really lucky to, to forge those relationships and then ultimately create that platform, which is, which is growing a lot. So,
1: yeah. You guys got a lot of teams uh, that fly in internationally, not just China.
2: Right. Yeah. So we have teams um, from all across Asia: Singapore, Philippines, Korea, Japan. Um, w- since uh, since we started Arena China in uh, two thousand fifteen, we've also split off and done Arena Singapore uh, starting in two thousand and seventeen, mm-hmm. and then uh, this year, just yeah. a couple couple weeks ago, um, had Arena Arena LA for the first time. Hey. Um, yeah. So uh, that's been a, a tremendously rewarding thing, and. And something that uh, has taught me to, you know, believe in doing things that are reckless but very ambitious because, um, again, I got to give give credit to my wife. Shout out to Pretty Coco. Uh, I was very skeptical about the idea of doing a competition. I felt like... We have finally got our studio in a, a stable place. We're not starving. We're not almost bankrupt. Why would we want to do this thing that takes a ton of time and effort, is probably going to lose money, and has no like immediate payoff um, for, for our company? But she understood, I think, on an intuitive level that this was what the community needed. This is what the culture needed. And that if we could provide that for them, that like the community would be there to support us, and that we could play an important role in... Determining the direction of the culture in the future, um, and and that's that's I think really proved to be true, even more than people like know Sino Stage and respect us in the dance space there. People really respect Arena um, across China, across Asia, across yeah. the world,
1: um, and that to me is like um, it's it, uh, amazingly gratifying. Yeah, speaking of bringing Arena to LA for the first time, I mean because LA is basically the home of the Kinders, right? Or, I mean, California is pretty much. Um, for us to take an internationally started show to bring it to our home turf and for you to kind of more so just be here and experience, like, let's see how it works at home. Like, what is what, what are some of your thoughts on – Now that I feel like we're kind of debriefing right now. About right, Arena, right, yeah. Yeah. We actually haven't done it right. We need to. But, like, yeah, what are some of your thoughts about Arena LA? Um. I see a lot of what we do
2: as like b- both Kinjas and Sino stage and like the urban dance movement as a whole as being about um, empowering marginalized groups of people. So um, in in urban dance, it's about empowering um, artists and dancers and people who've been excluded from like mainstream cultural consideration. Um, in the Kinjas, it's about... Um, empowering Asian Americans and like um, empowering minorities uh, from all different kinds of backgrounds. Um, in in China, it's about at least in Sino stage, a lot of it's about empowering women um, and empowering um, non gender conforming people, uh, the LGBT community. Um, and so every time that we are able to um, bring the the platform to a new level of recognition. I see it as kind of a step forward for people who may have been, um, underserved and underrecognized by mainstream culture. And, um, and so with arena coming to LA, it's an incredibly powerful thing for, um, the Chinese community who has felt like, um, you know, unworthy to be a part of that, the international dance conversation. Um, you know, and that's not just exclusion. That's just traditionally being behind. It's taken a long time for the community to catch up. We're, we're a lot younger than, than a lot of other international dance communities. Um, and so uh, for me, like, I, we can talk about, like, on the debrief level, there's, like, details like, oh, this could have been better or this could have been, you know, done differently or yeah. this was particularly successful and this was not. But for me, like, the, the bigger picture is just, like, the – tremendous symbolic significance yeah. of this this crossover um and, and 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 that outweighs like any kind of i mean there is like all oh, a lots of details and we come away from it um with arena in china this way as well where sometimes we can get a little bit lost in the details and and coco can be like unsatisfied with this like this could have been done better this could have been done better but sometimes i, I want to just like take a step back and say like Hey, this thing happened. We were able yeah. to manifest this in reality. We need to stay grateful and positive that we were even able to get this far. Um, that doesn't mean that we should be content and we need to always be trying to, to fix and, and be better and improve and all that kind of thing. Um, but, but even to, to be able to make this happen um, is, is really, really special. So that's my, my like emotional feeling. Sure. Um, yeah. About it, but uh, but but it, to to the specifics of it, I thought you guys did a great job. Um, I thought you brought together an incredible cross section of the community and the industry, um, and to do it all in downtown LA, uh, I think it opens the minds of dancers to the possibilities of what dance can can represent and and, and the the power that dance can have to change culture. So.
1: Yeah, I feel like the reception um, from even from what I've heard from people of the of the night was um, a lot of people were just really blown away because they didn't know what to expect because it was like I felt like it was unlike any other community show that um, you would normally even go to out yeah, here. Yeah, uh, and yeah, even it being at the Ace Hotel Theater and like at yeah, like you said downtown LA, and we saw a lot of um, like the who's who of dance, like a lot of just straight industry like choreographers and stuff that I wouldn't have expected to see there we're there and they were just like yo like what you guys are doing is amazing and it's cool like I feel like yeah we are really intersecting um, the community that we've grown up in as well as the industry and I feel like now those lines are really kind of blurred it's not really so separate anymore and that's what I love
2: yeah um, I mean that's something that I've seen uh change in the past five years since I've been involved in the community is um this inversion of the power dynamic between the community and the industry where um when we started if you were like a working industry choreographer that gave you a seal of approval to go and teach master classes in the community and that was like the highest calling that you could reach. Um, And now it's kind of flipped where the the highest calling that you can reach is to be recognized for your craft in the community. And and not even the community is the wrong term because it just means fans online for you to be putting out videos, for you to be putting out your product and getting recognition for your worth as an artist. That's The the industry now looks to that, looks to people who are famous for their choreography to bring them into the industry rather than the other way around with the the community just wanting to ride the jock of someone just because they danced for Britney Spears or they were on tour with Justin Timberlake or all those things. Um, And you even see this phenomenon where... Um, People who worked in the industry for a long time, very successfully as dancers, but never gave a lot of consideration to cultivating a fan base for their own choreography. Now they look at the community and they're like, wow, why why am I not getting any love? Like, don't you know what I've done? Um, But the the Internet has a short memory. Um, (laughs) And you got to be putting out lots of dope content all the time if you want to stay relevant. That's kind of the name of the game. And I think that's where the Kinjas have really excelled, right? And where you guys do a good job of bridging that gap between the so-called community and the industry, because you guys are out there teaching workshops and and making connections with the students. um, But you're also putting out a product that's of a level of quality that the industry can look at and recognize and be like, wow, this is um, we want to have this. We we want you know our artists need to be um, representing this level of, of of quality. So,
1: yeah, you're right. I mean, internet, YouTube, social media really flip the script on like the whole um, yeah, just getting your name out there, notoriety and all that. And like, yeah, I guess at this point, like technically, anybody can get views. I mean, you know, viral videos. I see like the stupidest videos that like, <laughs> millions of people are watching, and yeah. it's just a flash in the pan. And like. You know, people even get on, like, Ellen show because they have, like, what, was it, the, the damn Daniel kid? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Is that talent? It's, but, like, it's, that it's be, the
3: viral yeah. dances, yeah. you know? There's both sides of it. It's always yeah, both sides. Oh,
1: damn Daniel on Ellen? Yeah, yeah, yeah dude. I, yeah. I think he got a van sponsorship or something like that. He got, like, free vans for life or something. Got a
3: lot of things. I already donated
1: it, though, to, like, uh... Like I don't know, like two kids who oh, don't yeah.
3: have shoes or something. So that's dope. Cool. That's, that's cool. dope. Um, damn, so, damn. Yeah, that's generous. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: good.
2: <laughs> good. That's good. So I wonder what, like, what's the, what's your follow up when you blow up off that?
3: I don't You're know, like, man.
1: That's crazy, Craig. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: that's
1: pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, so Sino Stage and Kinjas. Now we are here in LA. You're at our home at the dojo here. Um, what does the future look like for Kinjas and Sino Stage?
2: I mean, I don't know how much you're trying to leak out on this. Uh, not too much, but, you know. There's you can, big things coming. There's yeah. big things coming. You know, we're, we're trying to open up a dance studio in Beijing now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, I mean, we didn't even talk about the fact that um, you know, Kinja's Dojo China is one of the studios that we operate out there and that uh, w- the, the direction that the cooperation between Kinja's and Sino Stage has taken um, has, to be, has been to create a base for the Kinja's brand out in China under the banner of the Kinja's Dojo. Um, and that's been something that for, for signer stage has helped take us to the next level of legitimacy and recognition and also created a stronger bridge for um, choreographers to be flowing back and forth between those two communities. So we try to bring out international um, dancers from the U.S. and people from the Kinjas and the Kinjas extended community to teach um, at the Kinjas Dojo China as, as much as we can and vice versa. Through the Kinja's Dojo China platform and through those media outlets, we're able to get exposure for dope Chinese dancers so that the world can see them. Um, Whereas if we were just putting out um, Apple, Apple Yang, if we were just putting out her videos on our Chinese social media channels, they probably never would reach the same kind of international audience that they do when they go out on the the Kinja's Dojo uh, YouTube channel um, and that's allowed her just last night right we had uh, her teaching class at the Dojo here in LA which is a huge milestone for um, Chinese dancers to be able to come over and teach at a really est- esteemed famous studio like the Kinja's Dojo and, and to get love from the community so um, and our
1: class sold out by the way it sure pull, pull, it did pull, man pull. that was really cool that
3: was crazy yeah. more than 50 students man yeah. Yeah. and it I'm only crazy. holds 50 students
1: yeah. <laughs> 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 Yeah,
3: <laughs> shout, out,
2: shout out to Kinja's Dojo, shout out to, to Apple. Hey, um, so, the you know, helping to build the Kinja's brand in, in China has been um, really a driving force for us and has both pulled more of the Kinja's and the Kinja's energy into the Chinese market space and also provided more opportunities for Chinese dancers to come out to the U.S., which is the kind of cross-cultural exchange that is the heart of our mission. Um, and so when we talk about what's gonna come in the future without getting you know too into detail about specifics although expect announcements coming soon Ooh, um, yeah. we we just want to continue in that same direction yeah, oh, um, yeah, yeah. And, and hopefully uh, Kinja's dojo Beijing will be opening sometime in the near future and more and more awesome things like that so oh, you better believe it um,
3: also Kinja's dojo China. Was designed by John She and and Coco, I believe, uh, and also it looks like a spaceship. So <laughs> if you ever go there, <laughs> or, or <laughs> it's future. It's a future. It's a future. Yeah.
1: Um, wow. So Eli, <laughs> as like a dreamer, I feel like you're a dreamer. Um, you you have a lot of thoughts. You have a lot of words. Uh, what does like dreaming look like to you nowadays?
2: um Well, I'm gonna be totally honest yesterday i was talking on the phone of kogo and we were talking about homelessness in la and how like it breaks our heart to be like riding around this beautiful city and see so many people who are suffering and in pain um, and excluded from society so what what really dreaming means to me is to try to help people who are um underprivileged and um and marginalized in all kinds of contexts if we can start by changing that within the creative sphere that we live in that's a great start but there is like much bigger missions that we have to um, that we have to answer the call of to be compassionate humans. So I hope that we can build a strong business foundation um, with with the Kinja's dojo, with the things to come in the future, with Arena, with Sino Stage, um, and that ideally in the future we can leverage that to do better things for society, to to help touch the lives of more people um, and 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 the people who are downtrodden because. Um, as blessed as we've been to, um, to experience success and, and have all of these great things in our life, uh, we, we want to always be thinking about the people who don't have that and um, never let like our happiness insulate us from the suffering that exists in the world, um, which is like a, a deep deep calling. So yeah, that's yeah. that's my that's I mean just being a hundred, that's sure. like that's why I wanted to go. Um, if that means getting out of business someday and going into politics, um, if that means going through the nonprofit route and like philanthropy or foundation, um, if that means, you know, working together uh, with other external entities, be it be it um, public sector entities like the city or be it um, uh, nonprofit organizations. If, if we can do that through dance, that's great. If we have to go do it ourselves, that's great. Um, but at the end of the day, we, we have to, we have to do that for our fellow man so that's my that's my hope
1: whoa, whoa. See, that's what
2: i mean He's a professional good
0: person <laughs> that was dope <laughs> man. That that so that. man that's, 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 that's so real
1: beautiful talk. um do you have any uh like routines like daily routines morning routines night routines how do you stay inspired
2: um yeah i mean i try to do a little bit of yoga before i go to bed and uh when i get up in the morning and um are you a morning person uh, no, dude, no, <laughs> I'm not, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a morning person, like two, three in the morning, I'm, I'm sitting up and, and doing work. Yeah. Uh, you know, just like everyone else, yeah, I'm, sure. I'm trying to cultivate healthy habits mm-hmm. and, uh, and keep up with my email list. There's, a. Uh, there's just a lot of work, man. Even being here doing this with you guys, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about all the stuff that I got to do to catch up and and um, and honor the the commitments that we've made. Mm-hmm. So um, so I, I I feel it's hard to find that right uh, balance between that work life balance um, where you're uh, keeping up with all the stuff you got to do and, and still not disrespecting your body. Yeah, I think that that's the hardest thing: is taking care of your body. Yeah, um, but I mean, I ain't got. I ain't got no magic bullets here. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Try to get a good night's sleep if I can. Sleep's important. Um, yeah. but yeah, surround myself with
1: good people. Spread the love. Love it, man. Love it. Lightning round time. Ooh. Ooh. Lightning round. Lightning Fire round. Fire off some All right. questions. All right. Can't think. You
2: just gotta go. Boom. Favorite Chinese food? Uh, I guess uh, fried noodles, chow mein, or hot pot.
3: Best Chinese dancer in your opinion right now?
2: Oh, uh, it's got to be Apple, man. She's she's hey. carrying the torch, no hey. question. Hey. Favorite movie Apple.
0: of all time. Uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> always <laughs> Stumped. everyone's
2: Stumped. hardest one. Yeah. Favorite movie of all time. Um, I'm a big Princess Bride fan. Oh somewhere. wow, <laughs> that's a great
1: movie. Uh, yeah.
2: least favorite workout. Uh, dude, anything that involves my knees, bro. I got <laughs> I got bad knees. It's it's been a. a yeah, it's been a tragedy in my life. They look everyone.
0: good right now, though. Hey, so, yeah. you look good, Charlie. Yeah, that's one. Wackest
2: rapper. <laughs> uh, wackest rapper. Um. uh I appreciate all of the. <laughs> all of the different Come on, Eli. Come with. Um, people. You, know you got to keep it real, man. Who do I not like? Ah. Uh, uh, uh <laughs> Uh uh Lil <laughs> Zan.
0: Ooh.
2: I mean those guys aren't even yeah. rapper rappers. Yeah. They're trying, they're doing their own thing. I'm not. I'm not. Hey, I'm not trying to throw shots at Lil yeah. Zan. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Lil Zan because he he said some shit about Tupac on the radio oh, yeah. a little while oh, ago, and nice. I was I wasn't feeling that. But I don't even know that man's music well enough to to uh, to cast his Yeah. If,
3: if you can recommend one book a uh, a friend what book would
2: it be germs guns and steel. Germs guns, germs, and steel germs guns and steel it's like a uh uh it's it's like a natural history biology book but it's really the scientific debunking of racism uh in in a really thorough context so all of the people who are essentially like putting cultural arguments that are justifications for discrimination and they have undertones of like, um, essentializing differences between humans as the reason for why we have to treat people differently. Um, I, yeah, for all of those, those arguments in life, there's like a thorough answer in this book that that book is just, is a really smart book and kind of like, um, yeah, reaffirms the, the, uh, the unity of all humanity in a really important way. I
0: oh, love that. Wow. Well, also, out. I
2: don't read a lot of books. So, <laughs> so I'm not, I, yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I wish I was more
1: well-read. Hi. Well, Coco's me- not going to get mad at you, the hottest celebrity that you would date right now.
0: <laughs> oh, um, you know what? I've always been an Olivia Munn fan. Whoa. Oh. Okay. Wait, uh, G4 Olivia Munn or Olivia Munn now? Uh,
1: what's G4? G- that was like, she was like a video.
0: Oh,
2: movie. she yeah, was, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I I'll take it.
1: <laughs> I
0: mean, I'll whatever take what <laughs> I can get.
2: See <laughs> <holler> at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no wait, uh, or Alicia Keys. That would be a better one. That's good. Or uh, what's the what's the other girl on uh, Parks and Rec? Not Aubrey Plaza. Oh, you are
1: talking about Rashida Jones? Rashida that's Jones, my girl. Yeah, <laughs> Rashida,
2: yeah. <laughs> yes. So I'm 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 down for any of those. Those my for Coco. I think hers are Brad Pitt uh, and Johnny Depp. Uh huh. Um, yeah. She and likes- John
3: Chi.
0: <laughs> 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 <Especially> <laughs> Real talk. <laughs> wow. This is swipe like your girl. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. Oh, oh man. All right. all right. Dude. Um, wait, hold on. Like Eli mentioned that he was like a rapper and like, he mentioned rapping so yeah. many times. Ooh, which, maybe the, the audience I needs grow? to hear some of this. Ooh, let's oh, play damn. a beat. Um,
2: Okay. Uh, you want me to go a- acapella? I'll go acapella. Oh, here. shoot. I can it. go like, like rock and like pop, acapella. Yeah. Just, yeah. just a few bars. Yeah, just something no. soft, you know, some um, nice. do be the launching pad. A few years since I graduated, living as an unemployed college grad. The hunger for more, I got it bad. Had a great mom and an awesome dad. I want to make them proud, but it could take a while. 'Cause I don't want to fall in with all of the rank and file desk jockeys. Nah, that's just not me. But I'll take it undercover if I gotta fight and button up my motherfucking collar tight. So if my friends think that I'm a sellout, I can tell them in the end it'll be all right.
1: Hey, it's gonna be all hold our excitement back. It's gonna be all right. Up. I was
3: throwing arms. <laughs> high I'm hyped Bars,
1: baby, candy bars. <laughs> 'Cause he's so sweet. Uh oh, wait, is Ben? Nah, are
3: you
0: trying Man, to we might we might get in the little
1: studio time and, and you know, lay down some uh some tracks and lay down some, you know.
3: Something also really cool about Eli too is he, he showed me one of his uh his rap uh invitations to like some uh to cloud actually he, he, he showed me that and i oh, was like whoa i've never heard right. oh yeah anybody do that f- to like get anyone out there man that i think that's so special uh
2: temporarily hey that's <laughs> what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen a response i'll tell this story super fast um and actually this this gets to the point that i was talking about where like um not chasing rap but trying to just do the thing that's good for the Mm -hmm. team and the project has led to other interesting rap opportunities so we did arena this year one of the people that we really wanted to come and uh and perform there was b-boy cloud right legendary mover in this in this game but he's also legendarily hard get he's he's a busy man he's um you know he's in his own world doing his own thing as you've got to do to be a transcendent artist no no, no knocks there. Mm-hmm. So we we tried to reach out to him through a mutual friend, um, Sean Everisto, Been on this podcast. Friend of the pod, Sean oh, Evaristo. Friend yeah, of the yeah. pod, baby. Um, and uh, we, we couldn't get through to him. But my wife was, like, really persistent. And was like, I don't care how you do it. You just get it.
1: <laughs>
2: and so I had I was, like, sitting there on my computer looking at, like, the, the previous email I had written him which was like all this kind of like hey we'd love to have you on China kind of stuff and <laughs> it, it had gone unresponded to and I was thinking about like the next one that I was going to send which is going to be more of the same like hey don't know if you saw my email but we'd really love to have you <laughs> that kind of thing and you know I follow Cloud on Instagram it's like he's He's available. He's doing stuff. He saw me, you know. It's not <laughs> yeah. like you, know, it's, it's not it's, like
1: you you're chilling at Starbucks, bro. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, you got <laughs> time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I see those rock climbing videos. <laughs> but also, I, I could tell from his, his Instagram feed what kind of guy he was, um, which is a guy that respects the, the art and the craft and creativity first and foremost. So I thought, like, I need to come with a grand gesture if I'm going to be able to move him to want to come and do this. So I just... I sat down and I composed a verse that was inviting him to come to Arena China, and then uh, I just recorded it on my phone with the beat playing in the background in a very sort of rough, not professional quality way. But uh, it had some dope bars in there, and I I sent it to him, and it got an immediate response. It was like it was. It totally made my day, made my week, made me feel like. like I was like I was worth something, right? And uh, and it was just like, oh man, like how could I say no? This is you know <laughs> so cool. Da 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 da. Um, he ended up not coming for whatever reason. I think he was busy. <laughs> 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 he was busy. So some right. of that that, that we optimism got the reply,
1: man. faded,
2: yeah. but yeah. but it still made me believe that like um, nobody is out of reach, and that reaffirmed that idea, which to me has been like a, um, a common thread through our story was that like reaching out to the kinjas and and connecting them like nothing is out of reach if your uh, intent is right and your approach is right yeah. um and uh and that that optimism is really uplifting so um so yeah you can you can fly in you can drop in for the <laughs> <of those> <laughs> cloud invitation um and and we'll get a chance to work with them in the future if yeah. you listen to this uh, cloud we love you and yeah. and you're you're welcome at any Um, any arena event and anytime you want to come to China and do anything you want to do we're we're doing (laughs) hell yeah Yeah.
0: hell yeah
3: you're transcending the game I think that's like a really cool way to especially with your story to like want to be a professional rapper and then you know going a different route with it but still now, like you're using it in a creative way, I think it's a transcending way. It's it's a really cool, creative way to reach out to people. Um, but yeah, mad, major props, man. I think yeah. that's super real
1: creative persistence. Yeah. It works. It works. It works.
2: Hey, well, uh, my love and gratitude to you guys. Um, the relationship with the Kinjas has uh, changed the course of my life um, in a positive way. So uh, anything that I can do to to support you guys and and keep the movement that you guys are are carrying
1: moving forward, I'm. I'm I'll at your service. It's
0: so likewise, you appreciate man. It's that, man. Likewise, appreciate you, man. Um,
1: we have this thing called the golden rule. Pretty self-explanatory. It's like your life mantra, something that you either heard that you're like, I'm gonna live by this, or something that you kind of developed for yourself. What is your golden rule?
2: Um, uh, radical transparency and uh, empathy. Wow. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry, I
2: I'll have it in sentence format, but those are, <laughs> those are the pi- principles Gold. for me. Yeah. I think
3: that's radically transparent of you, <laughs> and empathetic.
0: I don't know,
2: some people say empathic, empathetic. Yeah, empathetic. And empathic
3: <laughs> is kind of like a psychic, but to be empathetic <laughs> is like using your empathic powers. Yes. So... Maybe I have Charlie the Nash. definition wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but that's great. I so love You that. got
1: powerful energy, Charlie. I <laughs> do.
3: We're shaking hands right now. It's great. Yeah. We touched hands. It man, was sweet. You like
1: sweet, man. You're welcome back anytime, dude. Thank you so much. You are a well of knowledge yep. and a great human being. It's like an ocean. And, of knowledge. And, uh, yeah. yeah, dude. I just can't wait to keep rocking with you. I'm looking forward to all the exciting new projects with Kinja's and Sino Stage, which you guys will hear about and see about very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you got to get going, man. So thank you so much for you killed it. I love you. Thank hey, you guys, for having sweet. me. It's been a pleasure.
3: Uh, you want to just throw out your social media stuff? That's okay. want to request some bars. That's right. It's time for yeah, plugs. Yeah. Yeah. On Plug team. it in, man. Um,
2: no, you know, you can follow us at... Um, uh Sino Stage on Instagram, at Kinjas Dojo China on Instagram, at Arena Dance Comp on Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram at eli.m.sweet. There's not a lot on there, but you know oh, uh, nice. maybe follow at Pretty Coco. I'm not sure if that's actually <laughs> <right>. <laughs> <laughs> my wife's probably on there somewhere. And um, yeah, just keep supporting dance, supporting the dance community, and uh, hope to see you guys out at arena sometime. Hey. And cool. no worries,
0: I will I will go through this podcast thoroughly and link to everything that he said. <laughs> including the radical
3: transparency of empatheticness of which he is dispersing into the microphone at which you will listen to in great speeds.
0: I was also going to say the book that he recommended.
2: Oh, oh. guns and steel. Yeah. 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 Guns and steel. So I didn't I'll know. Find it. That I check, in, check it in. Show notes. Hey. Check it in the show, show notes. I notes will link everything.
0: Please leave us a rating, whether it's good or bad. We Please. like to learn. Please. Uh, if you liked it. Awesome. Uh, give us a comment hey. on things that we did well, things we did bad. Uh, and lastly, subscribe. Hey. More, yeah, uh, yeah. more Share with Share. your friends. You're so Share hot, like you're oh, folks, you
2: folks. Thank you, Mike
0: Fowl Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Ben. I love hey. you
3: guys. Thank Just you, Mr. Sweets, for your delectable knowledge.
2: Hey. We out. Kid we kid out. Shing
3: Shang kenji bang.